Amen. Thank you for that worship time. <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but man, I need that on Sunday mornings. And uh, and uh, team, the, thank you for doing that too. You guys don't know how hard it is for a pastor to worship on Sunday morning. Because if you guys know the story about Martha and Mary, you know, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's running out doing things. Pastors always feel like Martha on Sunday morning. And so it takes, takes an extra especially good worship for a pastor to be able to tune in and tune out the Martha stuff. So thank you guys for the work that you guys, and thank you guys for being here today. So I'll tell you a little story as we get started here. It was November 1977. I was, a, I was, a, I did, thank you, get out, this Mark, this, for those of you who are watching the video, you just said he wasn't here at this point. So, oh, good year, I thought you said you weren't here. Good, oh, is that the, oh, all right, my, my apologies then, I messed that up. All right, restart my timer at 35. That didn't count. Mark, Mark took that. No, don't. Um, November 1977, I was a junior in college, so now you guys can backtrack and figure out my age. But um, I, was a, I was in Waco, Texas at Baylor University taking a cults class. And one of our assignments from the cults class was to go visit a cult and take notes on them. Most of the people in the class went to the local Christian Science Reading Room or the, the, the Mormon Meeting House there in town, but a friend of mine and I decided we were going to be bold and adventurous. And so we went up to Dallas, a hotbed of idols, most notably at that time the Dallas Cowboys, one of the biggest idols there was around at that point. But we went to Dallas to go visit a cult there, and we decided we were going to go to the newly established Hare Krishna Temple in Dallas. And um, when, we, when we went there, to, when we contacted them about visiting and, and told them what we were doing and stuff, and and they said, oh, it's a great week for you to be there. It's a great time because we're having a big celebration this Sunday, and i got to get back and make sure I get this right, because our founder, American founder, Ab, uh, Abhicharan de Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada had just left the planet, and they were celebrating that. In other words, he died. But they were celebrating his ascension from the planet. So we went to the Hare Krishna Temple to worship, which incidentally, was a former Christian church that they had they'd gone out of business and they they had taken it over. So we went there, we met with them, we shared a, a vegetarian meal with them together, they welcomed us, and then we walked into the auditorium and there were, uh, there on the former stage of the Christ, former Christian church, there were a bunch of Hindu idols. And uh, so we sort of being these young Baptist preacher boys kind of went in a corner and just knelt not kneeling before the idols, but just sort of knelt, being out of the way to take notes and just do it. And so as they started singing and dancing, chanting, not like big dance, but just like we almost like we would dance, okay? By the way, church, you've got to get better at clapping, okay? I'm just telling you, all right? This is like, I love this church, and we do so many things right, but we can't clap worth anything, okay? So when Hunter asks me, he's taking a risk when he does that, so just try it, people, all right? But anyway, so they were singing and dancing up there, and um, we were just sitting in the corner. My friend who's now a pastor at American Baptist Church, so you know he's, you know, a little bit off there a little bit, but um, decided he was going to get up and start mixing in with the people, and he got up and started kind of dancing too there. And then um, there were people who had tambourines and stuff, and there was a little kid running around with a tambourine, and he bummed the tambourine off the little kid, and he started banging the tambourine. And I'm a young college kid. I was 20 years old. I didn't know much of anything. I jumped up, and so I started kind of doing it too, just making people observing. Now, Honestly, in all, in all seriousness, we were not worshiping those idols. 
we really felt more like, I felt more like Jane Goodall and, you know, mixing in with the chimpanzees. Now, I'm not comparing Harry Fisher to chimpanzees, okay? But the illustration of sort of mixing in and sort of observing the pattern. But here's a question we're going to look at today. Did I mess up by doing that? Did I sin by getting up there and just sort of, I didn't know the songs, it was all in, 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 in Hindi, but, uh, but doing that and just doing what they were doing and imitating what they were doing, did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Did I mess up? And that's the passage we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at, um, <coughs> excuse me, here we go. We're going to look at a sermon today out of uh, 1 Corinthians 8, and I have entitled the sermon, Forsaking Freedom for the Sake of Your Fellow Christian. Now, that's the title that I, that was my secondary title. What I really wanted to name it was this. The next slide. I wanted to name it, don't put that in your mouth, you know where it's been. However, the staff told me not to use that, so that's not the official title. That's, but that's the one you remember of what we're talking about. Acts, not Acts, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse, actually we're going to look at the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, so here we go, starting with verse 1. <coughs> Paul says, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Now about eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. <coughs> For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, you notice the quotation marks there, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up to now, uh, up until now, that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat it. We are not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again, so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Let's pray. Father, <coughs> this is one of those more difficult passages, and Father, you seem to put a lot in Scripture. But Father, as we look at it today, we just pray this, that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. Father, help us to understand what it meant to the people of that day. But more importantly, help us understand what it means to us today in our own situation. Father, we want to have knowledge of what is right and wrong here. But Father, we want to be guided by love. Because we know that you did indeed die for us and for all of those after us. And that's the message we want to proclaim. In Jesus' name. Now, we're taking a pause for a little bit out of in, in 1 Corinthians because 
we, again, when Paul left Acts, when we left Paul in Acts, he was in Corinth. <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about last week about Corinth and about what it was like. Now, as we're going to look at today, last week we looked at how we're free in Christ. We're totally free in Christ, but there are things like sexual sin that we talked about last week that are bad for us. And things like sexual sin is black and white. It really is. It's like you sexist for within marriage. We are to stay away from pornography. I mean, it's pretty black and white. It's not like, is this right now? Is it not right now? Is it, you know, is this okay in this situation? Pretty black and white. But what we're going to look at today is not that black and white. <coughs> we're going to look at that Christians are free to do a lot of things except things that might be bad for our fellow Christians, especially wicked Christians. But again, remember, this is not black and white. So I'm going to tell you right now, some of the things I'm going to say, some of you are going to go like, oh, gosh, I'm so glad to hear that. And others are going to say, I, I can't believe you said that. That's just not right. <coughs> and then other things might switch around here because it's not a black and white issue. But we're going to delve into it anyway. That's the beauty about being an interim, all right, that I can, I can push with things like this. Now, in the Corinthian church, this is a very real issue. And so let me talk about that. But I'm going to go back just a moment to the beginning of chapter 7. We skipped over it. We did chapter 6 last week. We're going to do chapter 8 this week. But Paul starts chapter 7 with these words. He says, now in response to the matters about which you wrote, <coughs> in response to the things that which you wrote about, excuse me. So apparently, there is some time between the time that Paul left Corinth and the time he wrote this letter that the Corinthian Christians had written a letter to Paul. We don't have it preserved. We don't know where it is. We don't know anything about it. But we know Paul wrote at least part of 1 Corinthians in response to a letter. And they had asked some questions about some things. So there's a lot of questions about sexual sin. There's questions about, about uh, lawsuits within the church. Sort of all sorts of things like that. And in chapter 7, Paul talks about sexual sins and marriage. He goes on with more about that. I felt like one time was enough for us to talk about that for right now. But in chapter 8, he turns to another question they had about food offered to idols. And here's the situation they faced. You see, the official, official religion of Rome, of the Roman Empire, was that there were all these gods and goddesses in this pantheon of, of, of Roman gods, a lot of them borrowed from Greek culture. And you've heard of many of them. There was Jupiter, or Zeus, as he was known in Greece, in Greek. Uh, Juno, his wife, or Hera, as she's known in Greek. There was Mars and Apollo and all sorts of things like that. So you know all of them, and we hear those names all the time. So in Corinth, just like in Athens, there were temples to these many so-called gods that they had imagined. And one of the ways they would worship the god was to offer a sacrifice. Now, we don't do sacrifices today. We feel like Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross ended sacrifices. We don't need to do that anymore. But that was a big part of what they would do. They would sacrifice an animal. <coughs> and so here's how it would work out. When they would take it, they would take some of this meat and they would offer it as a burnt offering before the, before the idol. And they'd burn it up completely. Sometimes that was like the hide or be an, an inedible organ or something like that. Usually it wasn't part of the best part of the, the animal. But they would burn it up completely. Sometimes they would take some of that meat <coughs> and really get a good part of it and they would cook it before the idol. And the idea was the idol, they're, they're putting an altar before the idol. There's a statue there and the idea was the idol could smell it. Because obviously an idol can't eat right? Idols are made of wood and stone, so they would smell it, and like, oh, that's a good sacrifice. Oh, thank you so much. That's, I don't know how they figured that out, because everything I read about the Greek and Roman gods, they were all about eating and drinking and stuff like that, but they thought it was good enough for the idol to smell it, 
And so it would be like, so they cook it, so they've got this nice ribeye, and they've cooked it nice and medium there. And then they say, uh, so Zeus, you had enough? Okay, great. Can I have the leftovers? And then they would be able to eat the rest of it, and that would be like sharing a meal with the idol. Now, if I came over to your house and you said, you can smell it, and then we're going to eat, I would not think that was very hospitable. But that's what they did with the idols. And it was really a pretty good thing. So they would take that cooked meat, and the priest and his family or her family would eat that meat. That would be part of it. But sometimes there's enough meat left over, so they would sell it to the public. In fact, they would turn into restaurants. They'd have sort of restaurants there that they could, that they could eat. In fact, um, the Hare Krishna temple that I mentioned earlier, um, it actually has become one of the most popular Indian restaurants in Dallas. I read that in the news just, just recently, that that's one pe- people go for a good Indian meal is at the Hare Krishna temple. So this would bring up the first question that the, that the Corinthian Christians had to deal with. They were really asking, can we go to Temple Steakhouse, because it was sort of like the equivalent of Outback Steakhouse back then, so can we go to Temple Steakhouse and eat meat even though we know that the idol is not real and we aren't worshiping anything? So can we go and eat the meat there? Now we're going to come back to that question later, but that was the first thing they were thinking about. They had to deal with that, do I go to this place that worships idols, but it's still the best place to get meat. It's the best restaurant in town. Can I go get, because they didn't have McDonald's back then, and so you want to go to a nice restaurant, it was usually at the Idol's Temple. Now, sometimes the leftover raw meat would be sold for people to take home, and people could cook. So not only did the temple become the Outback Steakhouse, it also became the grocery outlet bargain market or the temple outlet bargain market, or whatever you want to call it at that point. And so they would go and buy meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and that money they paid would go into the temple treasury. So that brings up the second question they were sort of asking there is, can we go to temple outlet bargain market and buy meat that might have been offered to an idol? So it was basically the the Corinthian Costco, if you wanted to at that point, was where they would go and offer and, and buy meat offered to idols. Now, I guess if you're confused already, wait, I'm going to make it even more confusing. Because there was a third question they said. Because you might, as a Corinthian Christian, you might get invited over to somebody's house for dinner. <clears throat> and the main course might have come from the temple. And so going over to a friend's house for dinner might have been a worship experience of eating meat sacrificed to this idol and offering a prayers to these idols. And so their third question was, can we eat sacrificed meat at a neighbor's house? So it was really getting confusing there. And even worse, you might get invited to your neighbor's 20th wedding anniversary, but the party was being held at the temple's community center. Could you go? So the fourth question was, can we go to a celebration at the temple? Now, we're kinda, we'll circle back to those questions a bit later, but you can see uh, that was a real question they were asking about. This Christianity thing was new to them, and the, the, the standard religion was just, it was a part of, of idols. Idols were everywhere. You could, no matter where you went, you were always involved in idol worship on some level. So how did they deal with it? So here's what Paul said about this. First he said, we all know that idols aren't real. Now that's sort of a dull thing for you guys. I, you should, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Is anybody going, oh, I'm so glad he heard him say idols weren't real because I was really worried about that. After 2,000 years of Christianity, we kind of get this. But they didn't at that point. They were still struggling with it. So here's what he says in verses 4 to 6. He says, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know then that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. 
There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Now, that right there, by the way, if you want a memory verse for this week, those, six, those three verses right there are great. There is so much. I could probably pre- preach three separate messages out of those verses right there. I'm not going to today, so we're not going to hit on all of So I just want to hit the highlights of it. But this is some really good stuff in that passage. Did we have it? Was it up on screen or we lose screens? Did we have it up there? Okay, good. I just, I didn't look. So you don't have to keep it up there, but that's okay. By the way, it's in your, it's in your notes also, and it's also in the, the, uh, the chair Bibles there if you want. So let's look at a couple of things just hitting the highlights of some of this. Okay, first he's saying, idol is nothing in the world. And the key word there is nothing. What other people revere as idols don't exist and they have no meaning and no relevance to life whatsoever. And that's just, we don't get that, that, uh, well, I'll put it this way. We're going to come to it later, but I'm going to say it right now. Idols are nothing. Idols are nothing. Second thing he says, there are so-called gods but there are a lot of things that people treat as a God and many things that came lordship over people's lives. We can give our lives to many different things, to a spouse, that could be the controlling thing, or money or fame or things like that, and those things have lordship over us. There are things like that that can own you, but they are so-called, they're not really gods. They're just so-called gods. And for us, we need to remember there is one God, the Father, and he is the source of everything in the universe. Everything not only in this world, but everything in the next life also. He created everything out of nothing, and everything comes from him. And then he also says, and we exist for him. Okay, remember, this is the purpose of our existence. Because we exist because God wanted us to exist. You exist because God wanted you to exist. In fact, Revelation 4.11 says this, just listen to it. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Everything came from God and everything belongs to him. In fact, it's one of the reasons why as as a Christian, I believe I'm also very much conservative as in conserving nature. I'm big into recycling and stuff like that. And I know recycling is probably a sham most of the stuff we put in the recycling bin i know it winds up in a landfill anyway but i still do my best to try to do it and to reuse and to not not use a lot like you know don't waste things if i can because i realize this world came from jesus from god from the father and well jesus too we're gonna see in a moment but um it's not mine i'm just i'm just renting here i'm temporary and I want to return this world to him in as good a shape as he gave it to me. We're not doing a good job of that right now, but it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to, to the Father. And so I believe I need to be a good steward of the environment because of that. So that's that. So the last thing it says, there's one Lord. And this gets a little confusing because we just said there's one God. But don't we also believe that Jesus is God? So doesn't that mean there's two gods? And that gets into that whole thing of the Trinity. So let's just put it this way. We believe that God is one, but there are three ways God relates to us, three aspects of God. They're not parts of God. God the Father is totally God. God the Son, Jesus, is totally God. God the Holy Spirit is totally God. And we don't know how that works out, okay? But to be honest, I don't worry about that. I don't really understand sometimes how electricity works, okay? I just know I flip on the switch and it works. I just know some, there's some things I have to take by faith, and the Trinity is one of them. But but I know sometimes we refer, when we talk about God, we're referring to God the Father. 
And sometimes talk about God, we're referring to all three of them together. So it's because we misuse the term a little bit there. But just think of it this way. Since Paul used God to refer to the Father, he used another word, Lord, to refer to Jesus, who he also knows is God the Son. But still notice the parallels here. He says, all things are from the Father, but they come to us through the Son. In fact, John 1, 3 tells us that Jesus was involved in creation. He says, all things came into being through him. Talking about Jesus. Without him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything exists is from the Father, given to us through the Son. So they're related there. So it's, it's, it's notice that our existence, both as created beings and as saved beings, is through the working of Jesus. So here's the short thing of that passage right there. In short, idols are nothing, but everything is through Jesus. Everything is through Jesus. Now, I said earlier that after 2,000 years of Christianity that we get this, that we're not worried, that we don't, we're not, we don't think there's idols anymore, but I'm not sure we believe that's true, okay? For example, I've been thinking about this. Our world is full of idols. For example, if you watch a Disney movie, you're going to see Hercules. That's still an idol kind of thing there. Or Triton from The Little Mermaid. That was a, a, just an imitation of Neptune, the Roman god of the seas there. So you see that all the time. Or some people worship things like prestige, like fancy cars. Like this one. Does anybody know what kind of car that is? Mm-mm. It's a, it's a Maserati. By the way, let's look, here's the symbol for Maserati right there, which is Triton's symbol, or Neptune's you know, uh, staff there. That's, so there's a Greek god symbol there in the Maserati logo there. But people th- there are people that worship, they're not worshiping the Greek god, but they're worshiping the prestige, the power. If I got the right fancy stuff, that becomes an idol for them. It becomes their lord. It controls them. So I'm saying there still are idols out there that we need to worry about. How about this one, uh, Nike? All right, those are a $350 pair of Air Jordans. And when I say $350, I'm, I'm just lying to you because they're not worth that much, all right? All right, if you, now if you spent $350 on your Air Jordans, God bless you. I, if God's let you do that, that's great. I think you need help, but that's just my opinion, all right? But by the way, the Nike symbols, anybody know where that comes from? Greek god of victory. Or Greek goddess, of, goddess of victory, I think, wasn't it? Right, is it a god or goddess? I can't remember. Goddess, all right. So there's, there's a, a, a thing there alluding to that, okay? Um, we've got other kinds. Of, so people will do uh, fashion becomes their idol. Have, having the right look, having the right style, that kind of thing. There's other idols. I'm getting in trouble for this one, but I'll be bold. Here's another idol in a moment, all right? Oh, my goodness. There are people that idolize her. I am, listen, God bless her. Again, I think she's a sweet girl. I've never met her. I don't think I'll ever meet her. But I am so tired of hearing her in the news, all right? So I'm looking to see if anybody gets them and walks out when I call Taylor Swift an idol. But, but are there people that idolize her? Absolutely there are. Am I saying her music's bad? No, I'm not. I'm just saying people idolize her. Or this one, the more classic idol in American culture, the almighty dollar. People who idolize those things. So, guys, we still have idols that we deal with in our world, and who knows what we've done with them. Did I? Yeah, it's God telling me to be short. He got rid of two pages of my sermon right there when I wasn't looking. All right, yeah, I'm looking at the time there. We've got to change that from something besides red if we can. I can't hardly read it from up there. All right, let's keep going. i got to keep going here. So here we go. Uh, let me find, oh, there we go. i got to find my place here. So now remember that none of these things that I mentioned, as I said, are, are they're evil. None of them necessarily evil. But I want to say all those things we mentioned as idols, 
They are nothing compared to Jesus. That's that phrase right there. Nothing compared to Jesus. Are they evil? Not necessarily, but they could be if they become an idol for you. And they might be for the same reason that the Corinthian Christians dealt with idol worship at that point. But let's keep going. All right, so this next point will be a little bit short. He says, knowing is, uh, that something's not an idol is not as important still as loving. And this comes back to verses 1 and 3. He says, about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I won't spend a lot of time on this point. There's a lot we could talk about, but we're just limited in time today. But um, it, and this really was Paul's introduction. But here's the main point, that more... More mature Christians have the ability and freedom to act on their knowledge. Right? When we realize that, that the idol's not real, we don't have to worry about worshiping it. But that doesn't necessarily make it right. And knowing that the idol's not real is not the most important thing. Now, I want to note here that Paul is not against knowledge. Paul was one of the most educated people of his day, and probably in every church that Paul founded, he was the smartest person in the room. So this is not against knowledge. He says, Paul's not saying knowledge is bad. Paul said knowledge is good. But it's not nearly as good as love, which helps point people towards Jesus. Now, guys, I'll admit this one's tough for me sometimes because in my many years as a believer, I've come to learn many things about God. And I could come to you as the expert on all things spiritual if I wanted to. I mean, I've got more education in this stuff. I've got more ministry experience, you know, all that stuff, more ministry education. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily know more. And if I do know more, it doesn't necessarily mean that I get it. And I recognize there are many people in this church, many people in this church, who know more about certain aspects of God or about ministry or about having a vibrant relationship with God than I know and get. And if I let my knowledge puff me up, I won't be able to build others up, and you won't be able to build me up. So I'm just saying, I have to come to you going, I am not as smart as I think I am. And I didn't always approach it that way. Quick story. I had a friend one time who had a very, what I thought was a very simplistic faith. And she was just talking about how she believed everything in the Bible was true just as it said on face value. You never had to do any study on it. You just read the Bible and that was it. And that's probably good enough for her. But I was at a point in my life when I thought like, you know, I need to deepen her faith and help her grow a little bit. And so I started pointing out some things to her where that looked like discrepancies until you did some study in it. And we just talked about the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew and in Luke, it's a little bit different. Now, don't freak out. There's actually reasons for that. It doesn't mean the Bible has an error in it. But as I started talking with her about it, and I thought I was building her up by letting her know that, yeah, there was reason for studying deeper stuff in the Bible. After we got home, my wife said, okay, do you realize what you just did? You just backed her into a corner and confused her. And I didn't build her up at all. I just puffed myself up. And so, guys, I'm, I've learned a little bit better not to do that. Hopefully I've grown some since then. And I realize how much I really don't know about God or about ministry or about having a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And more importantly, I've learned that I have much to learn from others, including people in this church. And even more importantly, I've learned that I don't always need to share all my knowledge about things nearly as much as I need to demonstrate my love for God and my love for other believers like you guys. And so if I've ever done that to you guys, of tried to impress you with my knowledge, and there have probably been times that I've done that because I still have some old habits that Jesus is working with me on. But I want you to know I'm sorry about that. Because the most important thing is not for you to know how much I know, but for all of us to know how much Jesus loves us and what he did for us.
and for us to begin to act more like Jesus. So that's just a short point with that. So let's go to the third point here. Paul says, limit your freedom for the benefit of others. This is in verses 7 to 13. So in the church, there were people who had recently become to believe in Jesus. And they had lived most of their lives steeped in idol worship. And Paul warned that these people might have a weaker faith and might be troubled or confused if a more mature Christian brother or sister went to the temple and ate meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. Now, how might they have been confused? There's a couple of ways that could have confused them. First, they could see somebody coming out of the idol's temple, and they might think, oh, idols really are okay for, for Christians. This was a, a, an idea called henotheism, not monotheism, but henotheism. Henotheism said, yeah, there's a bunch of gods out there, but my God's still the best. Sort of like thinking about being a football fan. Yeah, there's a lot of football teams out there, but my team's the best. All right? My college team got beaten badly this week, so I'm not a henotheistic football person right now. But, but that's that idea of henotheism. And he says, no, it's monotheism. Those other idols are nothing. And so there's no place for idol worship in anybody's mind. But a weaker Christian or newer Christian, not weaker by inferior Christian, but newer, didn't have quite as strong a faith, seeing a more mature Christian come out of an idol's temple might think, well, maybe there is something to idols. Or another way they might be confused was that they might see that more mature, more mature Christian as hypocritical and decide that they want nothing further to do with the church. In fact, that regularly happens now. We see, if you go check blogs and YouTubes and things like that, and you'll see all sorts of things of people that complain about the hypocrites in the church and how they've walked away from the faith because they saw it as hypocritical because we as stronger believers messed up in some ways. And that's an example of a, of a more mature Christian Recognize their freedom in God. I know that idol's nothing, but another be weaker believer saw them, and they decided, uh, that's not good, and it had a bad result. Now, the fact that Paul calls these Christians weaker makes us believe that Paul probably fell in line with the freedom people. That's normally who Paul was. Paul was kind of the person saying, you've got freedom. He said, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to follow Jewish dietary laws. You don't need to do any of this stuff that God has, has taken us free from the law. Romans talks about that a lot, about freedom from the law. But Paul said, hey, your freedom, though, can be damaging to others. And he reminded the more mature Christians that Jesus died for the weaker Christians, just like he died for the more mature Christians. And they are just as valuable in God's sight. And he warns the more mature Christians that when they exercise their freedom, no matter how well it's based out of their knowledge, they run the risk of ruining the weaker Christian. That's the word in the CSB translation that we use. Another word for it actually talks about destroying, undoing them. In other words, undoing the work of God that he's done in their lives already. Now, I want to note something here with you guys, too. This passage, here's what this passage is not about. This passage is not about offending more mature Christians. So this is not about don't get a tattoo because that's going to freak out the old people. Or don't get rid of the pews because they're used to having pews and if we have chairs, that's going to make them mad. It's not about, oh, we're not singing enough hymns, all right? We're singing too many of these fancy-dancy choruses or whatever. I'm trying to think how people talk about it. It's not about that kind of stuff. Paul would say to the more mature Christians, if you're offended by something, you're mature. Get over it. Deal with it. This is about not offending the weaker Christians that's going to mess up their faith. That's what it's really about. It's not about you can't do this, you can't do that because you're going you're gonna to offend older people. You're going to offend the more mature Christians, that kind of thing. He's not saying that at all. All right? He's saying that if what you're doing draws somebody else away from Jesus, 
then you're doing it wrong. And, you know, I've been in churches that said, if you're using anything other than the King James, you're not, being, you're not being a true Christian. To them, I'll say, get over it. You're a more mature Christian. Nobody's faith's going to be wrecked because we're using the CSV rather than the King James Version. Did you hear me say King James is bad? No, for those of you who are King James people, I do not dislike the King James. But I'm saying we're not, we don't have to change that. We're doing what we can to help people there. So I mentioned some of this when we looked before at Acts chapter, eight, uh, chapter 15 and the Jerusalem Council. Um, real quick story, when I, was in, when I was planning a church in Nevada, we knew that we could, go into the, we could go into the casinos to shop, to see shows, to eat meals. Because in Nevada, everybody, you lived around the casinos. That was the only place to go sometimes. That, in fact, you just went to Denny's. There was still a slot machine in every Denny's. So you could go to the casinos for certain things like that. But we also learned we should not gamble. We should not do anything like that because there were a lot of people in our churches that had a gambling problem or been saved out of a lifestyle that worked around gambling, that kind of thing. And so they said, you know, go ahead and use the casinos, witness the casinos, get to know people in the casinos, that thing, but don't gamble because that could destroy the faith of weaker Christians. But we didn't know any weaker Christians that would say, you don't go to the, because everybody had to go to the casinos at some point. You went to the local AMPM. There was a, you know, when you go to pay for your gas, there was a slot machine there. So people were used to that. I hope that makes sense with that. So we limited our, our exposure. In, now, I wouldn't gamble anyway because I just, they don't build a casino by giving money away, all right? But um, so I just thought it was stupid. But, but I want to show that we all, the leaders even said like, Ah, oh, you know what, I, I, I just paid for my meal, I got a couple of quarters in my pocket, I'll just put them in the quarter slot machine just for fun, you know, like playing a video game. There are Christians that could say that, we could do that. But in Nevada, the Christian leaders said, we're not going to do that because it might confuse some of the younger Christians. It's a simple thing to do there, all right? So let's keep moving on here. I see blank face, so I think I'm confusing a lot of people, but let's just keep trying to go through this. So now let's go back to those, those questions we asked at the very beginning. All right, so I want to say, first of all, those questions about can we eat meat at the temple that's offered to idols? Can we buy meat? The answer is a good, solid maybe. All right, that's all you can say right now. This is one of those things that it's, it's not black and white always. It depends on your situation. And it, by the way, that's risky for a pastor to say it depends on your situation because some people may say that gives you license. No, I'm saying we've got to think about it, all right? So let's talk about it. So, um, Remember that last week we talked about all things are okay for us, but we should only do things that are profitable for us. We also looked at our, we should, all things are okay for us, but we should do things that are good for our body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Today Paul adds the thing, we, all things are okay for us, but we shouldn't do anything that's going to harm a weaker or newer Christian. So let's look at those, moder- those questions we had through a modern lens. The first one was, can we go to a temple and eat sacrificed meat? Um, let's t- turn it into a modern thing. Can you here in Fresno go to the casinos and have a meal? Or can you go to a place that's primarily a bar and have a meal? Can you have a social drink? Now, I'm a total teetotaler. Or I think I've told you before, my, my, my sermon on alcohol is drinking is not a sin, but being stupid is you go do the math. That's, that's my thing. That may not work for you, but that's how I feel about it, all right? Um, so I just think it's dumb, expensive, and dangerous. But I, can tell, I can't tell you you can't drink. But I can tell you, if you have people in your sphere of influence who have a history of problem drinking, or if you have any non-Christian friends who will be less likely to pay attention to your witness because you drink, then absolutely the answer is no. All right? 
Now, let me make clear on that. I think it's smart to just stay away from alcohol altogether. But I'm going to tell you that that's not black and white unless your doing so harms your witness to a non-Christian or to somebody who is a weaker brother or sister. If you're going to call somebody else to fall back into sin. Let's look at that second question. You go to the temple and buy sacrificed meat. Well, I, I kind of think of that with, with this one. Can you go to a yoga trainer who believes that there is an Eastern metaphysical benefit to doing yoga with the person? Again, the answer is going to be maybe. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. It goes back to that thing when I was at the Hare Krishna temple. Did I do something wrong in imitating the worship of those guys? For me, did it do anything to damage me? No. I was not worshiping those idols. I was focused on Jesus. I was looking at what was going on there. But had there been, had I been in Fresno where I had fellow church members that would have seen me do that, that would have seen me come out of the temple and might have been confused by that, then absolutely no, I should not have done it. Now, again, remember, I was just one thing as a cults class assignment, a one-time deal, all right? I would never say I'd go up there every week. That would just be unprofitable in general. But I'm saying, so for you, maybe that was a bad thing for me to do. I still have questions about whether I should have, should have done that or not. <clears throat> but again, I was 20 years old and stupid. Um, but I can tell you absolutely it, it would have been wrong if anybody would have seen me and it, it would have caused them to be confused about my faith in Jesus. So that yoga trainer, can you go to that person? You know, if you go to that person and you feel like I'm not, I'm not doing any of the Eastern metaphysical stuff, it's just a good way for me to get there and maybe I can witness this person, that kind of thing, that's fine. But if you have a friend or a coworker that knows you're going there and knows that connection and it causes them to stumble in their faith, then no, you probably should not do it. Third question, can we eat meat sacrificed at a neighbor's house? Well, let's make that modern. Can you visit a house of a neighbor or a friend knowing that they've dedicated their house to their ancestor's spirit or to their household God? Again, the answer is maybe. You've got to think through yourself, what are you communicating to other Christians? Now, if you have no Christian friend who knows that that person has done that in their house, you can go over there and be a Christian witness in that home, yeah. But according to this passage right here, if it would cause somebody else to stumble or think that you were involved in the worship or condoning what they did, then no, you should not do it. Now, we can get into some really trippy things here if we want to talk about going to the home of your neighbor who's in a same-sex marriage or that kind of thing. And there's different scripture passages to deal with that. So I'm not even addressing those issues right now. I think everybody pretty, knows where our, pretty much knows where our church stands on those kinds of things. But we'll talk about that a little bit later at some other time. We don't, I'm already over time, so I want to keep going here. So, um, so I just want to remind you of this, that Paul would lean on the, things, on the side of connecting with the non-Christians unless it hurt a weaker Christian. Early Christians were known for their hospitality. They were known for their engaging with other people, being kind, so keep that in mind also. The last question, can we go to a temple, a dedication at the temple? And I'm going to apply that to a variety of cultural, social situations. Let's ask, for example, what's coming up at the end of this month? Halloween. Can you allow your children to go trick-or-treating or your grandchildren? Now, to be honest, we never thought much about it. Um, again, the answer is a good, solid maybe. Now, there's some Christians that think you can't go trick-or-treating at all. you got to do that. Or, yes, I can do trick-or-treating, but with every piece of candy, i got to hand out a, a gospel tract. You know, i got to engage everybody in spiritual stuff there. 
or the only person they can dress up, they can dress up like Joseph from the Old Testament or Moses or, you know, Hezekiah. I, who knows what Hezekiah looked like, but that kind of thing. I'm just going to say I want you to consider what you're communicating to other people. For most of your neighbors, Halloween is just a meaningless tradition that has no connection to real life. But I would tell you to be careful about decorating your house with witches and demons and evil monsters and any demonic symbols. In other words, let's not give the enemy free advertising, all right? Now, other than that, where you draw the line, you've got to think about what it means. Here's all I'm asking you to do is think about what you're communicating to other people and how you're communicating with them and what effect it has. So can you do a celebration that Halloween that's become just a sort of non, a meaningless thing? Yeah, probably, as long as you're not leading a weaker Christian to give credibility to demonic influences of the occult or stuff like that. And we could say the same things if we had time about Easter eggs, Santa Claus, or we never talked about this one, Cupid's at Valentine. Aren't Cupid's cute? Cupid was the Greek god of love, the, 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 the version of the Roman Eros. You know what that word's with, okay? So just think about it. But for most people, those things have no more meaning than like, well, today, what, what day of the week is this? Sunday, the day to worship the sun god. That's, now we as Christians have talked about, we changed it to S-O-N day, but Monday, day to worship the moon god. Anybody here like Thursdays? That was Thor's day, okay? And not the Marvel Thor's day, or the month of March was there to celebrate the Roman god Mars. So I'm just saying it's all over everywhere through this, so you always have to kind of remember that. The idea, and we're going to talk about this in a later sermon, we don't want you to pull totally out of the world. Don't hear me saying two, two, two ways we could err on this. One is to say we're going to give into all of that. It doesn't matter at all. We don't, we're not worried about our witness to people. The other one is to say we're going to pull away and just never stain ourselves with anything non-Christian. And it's about walking a balance there. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do today is to, as you look through the things that you do, Always remember, what is this doing to my witness to others? How is it affecting younger Christians? And the more mature you are as a Christian, the more this applies to you. You know, the more mature you are as a Christian, the more you have to be careful about it. That's why we hold pastors and deacons to higher standards, because they have more influence. If you want to wrap it up, it's going to be in this verse right here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, another good set of memory verses. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. So what I want you to do in response to this. First, from last week, always do what's good for you. Do what's good for you as a believer, what's profitable for you. Keep that in mind. Second, do what's good for your body. We talked about that last week, too. But from this week... Always look to do what is good for your fellow believers. We have responsibility together as part of the body. And specifically, re-examine your activities, your habits, and your attitudes from the viewpoint of how it affects your influence on younger and less mature Christians. Now, I'm close as I always, or as usually do, to say this, that guys, we've talked about how we should act in the world. But this applies to Christians. If you're in this room and you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, you don't know what that means. You've not experienced that act of saying, God, I recognize Jesus died for my sins. 
And because he died for my sins, I need Jesus in my life. And I want to have his influence first. If you've never come to the point where you say, for me there is one God the Father, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, and everything I have has come from him, and I give everything I have now back to him in my life. If that's not been your, if you've not done that yet, please talk to me or Hunter or one of our leaders at the end of the service. We don't want anybody to walk out of here without knowing Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, tough words today, Father, and I pray that I've handled them well. But Father, I ask that you would just, Father, help us to go through not just Sundays, but every day of our lives. Being aware of how our witness is affected by our actions, our habits, our deeds. Father, we want to be people who always point people to Jesus. We want everybody else to know this one Lord, this one God. We want everyone to know where all things are from and why we exist. So, Father, speak to our hearts. Help us to shore up anything we need to work on. And, Father, help us to be a part of your work in spreading the name of Jesus and the beautiful gospel message of his sacrifice for us to all the world in Fresno and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.